Blooming Inspired Network, empowering the voices of women to lead as they live their lives blooming alive. This is Michelle Bentham, host of Blooming Inspired Podcast, and I am jumping online with you today to share a word that God has been blazing in my heart for, oh gosh, seven years. Like he's been really working this out in my life for the last seven years years. Seven is the number of completion in the Bible. If you think about it, God created the earth and it took him seven days to complete it. And on that seventh day he rested. And so I am in the seventh year of figuring out what it means to walk out my calling in my life. And, you know, I told my friend on the phone just this morning how it is that that I see myself figuring out who and what I want to be when I grow up. It's been a process. Can I get an amen to that? Because it's been a process. And I think life is always that process, that sanctification, that that building up. And so I want to tell you a little bit this morning about Blooming Inspired Network. And then I want to dive right into our topic this morning because we're talking about this week, how to live with an unoffended heart, how to live your life knowing that people are going to fail you but God never will. And if God never fails you, then you can trust him with your heart. You can trust him to protect your heart and you can trust him to protect you from people who would otherwise hurt you. You see, if we live by the law of love and grace, his love, his grace at work in us, then the results and the outcome don't depend on us. And it keeps us from living our lives codependent on one another. As a woman who um has a strong call to leadership on our life. I found myself here in the Southern Bible Belt, as we call it, um, really challenged to be brought up in my leadership gifts. And and and, and I want to be real clear here. I don't think that the that that necessarily it's a bad thing that there are churches who who don't empower women to lead equally alongside of men. I don't. Ha- I, I'm not voicing an opinion on that. What I'm voicing an opinion on is that women have leadership skills, gifts, and abilities, and they have callings on their life to lead. If we look at the Bible, we don't have to go very far. There's Miriam walking alongside her brothers Aaron and Moses as a prophetess over the nation of Israel. There's Deborah, who was a righteous judge over the nation of Israel. There's Esther, who was queen, second only to her husband over all of Persia, Persia, and spared the life of all of those living in exile in Persia who were Jews because of Haman's horrible plot. You have Mary, the mother of Jesus, who who led the way in her son's legacy after his resurrection. She stayed with the disciples, it says, in Acts, and she lived her life among them, and she lived on in her son's legacy, helping to lead the way. And then you get into the, the latter part of Acts, and you have all of these women who are named Priscilla, Dorcas, Lydia, oh, the list goes on and on. You have Timothy's mother and grandmother who Paul acknowledges. And then you have these three little verses to Greek communities. And Chris Valaton has written the best on it. And the Upper Room in Dallas has done some teaching on on how um, traditionally the church has used three verses of scripture to oppress women without considering the whole context, the fact that many women walked with Jesus during his ministry and they even provided support for him. And they were considered leaders among him, not even considering that it was a woman who came to the tomb that he first appeared to after he was resurrected. 
that it was a woman who birthed the Son of God into this world. It was not the seed of man. You see, I think we've misconstrued what the role of women looks like in leadership. And so as women have been called to lead, they have gone out into the world to find their place of leadership. And they have competed with men to to lead well. And so instead of bringing all of that beautiful femininity that God created in them to the table, to balance out that male perspective, they have instead taken on the attitude and the role of men and they compete with them. And so I want to figure out how do we honor men and their role and what God's given them to do while we as women bring our femininity fully to the table. Now, I won't say that I'm an activist. I won't say that I'm a feminist. But what I am is about empowering women to lead and and especially women who are called to lead. And so that's where I want to start. And so I believe this unoffended heart is a real big key to figuring out how to, to do this well, to do this with integrity, to do it without demanding that they meet us here or without rejecting men as leaders. And so will you just jump into this with me and explore it with me? Because I am so excited to be here with you this morning and walking this out with you. You know, I think about um, 1 Corinthians 1.18 when I think about um, living unoffended. It says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, what looks like weakness in the natural is actually strength in God. When Jesus went to the cross, so beaten, so broken, so destroyed, He paid the price once and for all, redeemed fully the curse and the consequence of sin. And he empowered every believer to do greater works than he did. So how do we live with this message that appears to be foolishness to the worlds around us when knowing that it's the power of God inside us? That's what I hope to explore with you this week as we look at what it means to live an unoffended heart. We will be here every day except for today because I had some technical difficulties at 11 a.m. to share this podcast with you. And so it's a really, it's going to be a really exciting study and a really exciting time. I want to tell you a little bit about how I landed on this topic of living unoffended in 2011. It was the weekend after Thanksgiving and the church we were attending had a gentleman come in to speak to the singles ministry, but the, but the service was open to the general public. So my husband and I attended and, and it wasn't far from our home and we lived about five minutes from the church at that time. And so We went that evening, and worship was powerful. It was great. And I watched this man. His name is Todd White, and he is opening Lifestyle Christianity um, Equipping Training Center. It's Lifestyle Christianity University here in the Metroplex, the DFW Metroplex in Texas. And so, um, but but at that time, he was traveling around, and he he was delivering messages. And he really... He really believes in the power of love and grace. He believes that if if God loves people, then he'll heal them. If God loves people, then he'll minister to them. If God loves people, then that's the way we should act. And and so I want to ask you, what does it take to be the kind of person that when you're persecuted, when you're beaten down, when you feel like you're going to be destroyed, that you don't take offense at that, but instead you walk in love toward 
who, who it is that's persecuting you, who it is that's tearing you down, who it is that's, that, that you believe is destroying you. And so um, he got up there after worship and he was just wrecked by worship. And, he would, and, and, and one of the things he said was, if, if you're going to sing that stuff, mean it. Don't sing it if you don't mean it. And that was just powerful to me. Like, I remember being a youth leader back in, um, in, in, in this little country church in, in north central Texas. And, and we, we would do this encouragement circle. And I remember the first person who's, who included me in the encouragement circle was a senior in high school. He was a young man. And um, his name was Nathan. And I will never forget him. And all the kids were throwing it back and forth and they threw it to the primary leaders and my husband and I were supporting leaders and they threw it to my husband. But, but towards the end, Nathan threw it to me and he said, you know, in the morning, when, on Sunday mornings when, we, when we're in worship, I look around and I observe people. And he, and he said, when I observe you, it looks like you really mean it. And that just overwhelmed me because... It took a lot to get to that place for me. It took a lot to get to the place where I could worship God with abandon and not worry what other people thought. And so fear of man is one of those things that will just trip us up every time. But if we look at the, the life that Jesus lived in the Gospels, if we look at who he declared God to be with his life, because it says in Hebrews that he is the, the, the manifest presence, the, the, the visible expression of who God is. And so how he lived his life was perfect. It was sinless. So how did he live not taking offense? Personally. Uh, the only time we really see Jesus offended is when he's dealing with the enemy and when he's dealing with religious people who are abusing the trust of the people who are who are they, they are sent to care for and shepherd. And so... That's an interesting dynamic, and, and I just want to, uh, to highlight that Jesus lived very differently than our natural selves lives because he didn't have sin. He was fully God and he was fully man. He was fully susceptible to human desire, human thought, human will, human emotion, but he didn't sin. He chose not to. He chose to agree with his Father's will and contend for it. And he only became offended when what happened made people think less of his Father, when, when it abused people in the name of his Father. And then he did something about it, right? He righteously ran the people out of the temple who were making it a marketplace and taking advantage of the people who were there. And so as we go into today's study, I just want to pray and get started. So we're going we're gonna to take a couple of minutes to pray, and then I'm going to introduce our, our, our passage, our verse this morning, and then we'll dive right in. How does that sound? So Father God, oh, we just take a moment to set our hearts on you and Jesus, and your Holy Spirit who brings back to mind all of the things Jesus did and all of the things he said, even the things we don't read about and the things we, we cannot learn. And so God, today, I ask you to inform our minds and inform our hearts. Open our eyes to see you. 
Open our ears to hear you. Open our hearts to know you as we walk out this journey of learning what it means to walk by your law of love and grace and not be offended. I just thank you, Lord, that you, though we were very offensive to you, you did not give up on us, but you persisted with us until you sent your son to the cross and provided the full payment and said, it is finished for our sin, for that curse that was spoken over the earth and the serpent, and for those consequences that Adam and Eve had to live in for the rest of their life, that they passed down to us. I thank you, Lord, we don't have to live by the knowledge of good and evil, that we don't have to live by the keeping of the law but we can live by the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ and live fully loving people from that place in such a way that it changes the world. So be with us as we read, as we study, as I share this morning, and I pray you would give me wisdom beyond my own knowledge, truth beyond my own understanding, and, f and truth that sets people truly free. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, as I was considering what I would teach on today, um, I felt like God was talking to me about Matthew 18. And so um, I just want to read that chapter of scripture to you. It's, it's 35 verses, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit. So beginning in, in, in um, Matthew 18 and verse 1, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put in, him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. He says, woe to the world in verse 7 for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. You see, Jesus didn't say we won't be tempted. Jesus didn't say we won't struggle, we won't have hard times, that we won't be pushed against. But he said, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, it is better to cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to, with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for your entire for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Verse 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? Remember that. He, he, the, the good shepherd has, a, has more, many, 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 many sheep. Here it's, a, it's demonstrated as a hundred. And if one out of those hundred goes astray, 
he does not he he leaves those 99 and goes out into the mountains to search for the one that went astray and if he finds it in verse 13 truly i say to you he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray so it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish do you get that it's not the will of the father that anyone who is immature or lost or or doesn't know the Lord should perish. In verse 15, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the ev evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. In verse 21, Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Remember, seven's a complete number. We talked about that, right? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. See, it's a perfect number times a perfect number. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This is a great sum of money. This is someone who would need to go to court today and file bankruptcy because their creditors are going to put them in jail. And since he could not pay, his master offered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had so that payment could be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I'll pay you. And he refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as i had mercy on you and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly father will do with every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart so as we look at this passage and what I just read to you in these 34 verses, I want to just highlight some things for you and then kind of dig into them a little bit. First of all, he begins with an opportunity for the disciples to be offended. Do you see that? Because they want to know which one of them is the greatest. Can't you see them? 
with the hand up here on the chest in the robe, walking around sure that Jesus is going to pick them. But instead of calling out one of them, he calls a little child. A little child. And if you'll remember, the disciples tried to keep the little children from Jesus. Childlikeness is not easily offended. Really, truthfully, at, in order to be offended if you're a child, you have to be taught that something's offensive. But if you approach life as a little child with a sense of wonder, with a sense of love, with a sense of hopeful expectation, with a playful imagination, with a heart that trusts your papa and ah, what's going to happen when offense comes? If your papa's teaching you about it, you won't be offended because you know me. Jesus said, whoever receives one of these children in my name receives me. You see, the immature and the mature come to Jesus alike, but we all have to come to him and approach him as a little child. And I believe the fullest expression of maturity is when we can have childlikeness, when we can have wonder at the awe of God, and we can love him with the depths of our heart, and we can know that he wants us to be like him. And then he moves right into temptation to sin, which makes me think of Galatians, where it says, be careful as you restore one who has fallen, that you yourself don't fall to temptation as well. You see, this goes back to the idea that what happened in the garden, when, when Eve took a bite of that fruit that somehow looked like the knowledge of good and evil on that tree, that what she received was the knowledge of good and evil. But she was never meant to live by it. She was never meant to live knowing good from evil. She was meant to live purely from a heart connection and a relationship with God. And I think about Micah 6, 8, where it says, I have shown you, O man, what is good, to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And sometimes we can read that word about do justice and think that that's about we get to vindicate God by doing his justice. I heard a, I heard a young man who was teaching youth one time say that out loud. He said, do you hear that? We get to, we get to do the wrath of God. Isn't that exciting? And I was like, Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what it means. And so I began to inquire of the Lord about it, and I pray about it. But I just had a sense in my heart that that wasn't what God meant. And so as I prayed about it, here's what I heard from him. He said, I've shown you a daughter what is good. If you do justice in your own heart and love mercy toward other people, that's how you walk humbly with your God. You see, I believe the first the first key to living a life unoffended is to live humbly before God, to recognize that what that, that, that person who was being led to the, who saw someone being led to the gallows and, 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 and uh, past Great Britain, I don't remember his name, but, but it's such a powerful statement and we say it a lot. It's a colloquialism. There but for the grace of God go I. That if it weren't for the grace of God, I could be that person. I have the capacity to be that person because I had a sin nature that God nailed to a cross with his son, Jesus. And as soon as I received him, I get to be not convicted of the judgment of sin, but convicted and called up to the righteousness of Christ. It says the Holy Spirit comes to judge sin and convict of righteousness. 
And so when I answer the call of God and invite Jesus to come and be my Savior and be my Lord and give Him access to my heart and my life, because He's not going to violate my will. The capacity to live unoffended is fully inside of me because the power of Christ lives inside of me. And that's the second key. Recognizing that exceedingly great power that lives inside of us that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So let's, let's, let's go on. You see, the temptation to sin, it's, it's very interesting to me. It comes in this context of who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But if you cause one of these little ones to stumble and fall, it's better for you to be dead than alive. You see, he's, he's, he's building a pattern here, right? You think one way about this, and I think completely different. You don't need to be focused on who's the greatest. You need to be focused on what it takes to avoid temptation to sin. Because there's a woe in that temptation. And it's not a woe, it's a whoa, it just grieves the heart of God, whoa. You need to cut out the things that cause you to live from the place of the judgment of knowledge and good and evil. That's what it means to take our thoughts captive to the mind of Christ so that we can live not conformed to the pattern of this world. Do you know that judgment is the way the world lives. Judgment between good and evil is the way that the world around us lives. So if your eye is causing you to sin, you should tear it out, throw it away. If your hand is causing you to sin, you should cut it off. If your foot is calling you, causing you to sin, it should, you should cut it off. And how does Jesus refer to his own body? He refers to his own body like a physical body. Hands, eyes, feet. I wonder if what comes out of the mouth of the bride of Christ causes people to sin. If what comes out of the heart of the of the body of Christ causes people to sin. If what comes out of the hands and the feet of the body of Christ turns people away from God instead of draws them to Him. <sighs> we don't want to, to be consumed with legalism, with the knowledge of good and evil, with the law that tears down. We want to be consumed with the love and the grace of God that builds up. And then he tells a parable that demonstrates exactly Papa's heart on this matter. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is there. Ah, do you get it? There are angels assigned to every person from the time they're born on the earth and they stand before the face of the father in heaven ministering to him for us ministering to us for him so what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray the parable of the lost sheep does not god leave those 99 sheep on a hill 
as the good shepherd and go off and look for the one who went astray. See, we, we in the church, we shake our heads and we share our gossip about those who have gone astray. Rather than linking arms with one another, bowing our heads and calling out the destiny the Father planted over their life before they were ever born. We don't go to them and walk through their season of astray. We judge it. And there's where offense takes its bitter root place. It's a seed of offense. John Bevere wrote a book called Don't Take the Bait, the Bait of Satan, and he, all, and he says in that book, Don't Take the Bait. You see, the seeds of offense will sit in your soil and they will not only grow in that soil, but they will contaminate it with their roots and they will turn your heart, not only from people, but from God himself. It says in Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 12, that uh, to dig out the bitter roots of unforgiveness because they will make your heart adulterous towards God. It's those bitter roots that make us adulterous towards God. You see, the Father is not willing that those would go astray and the little ones would perish. And so he rejoices over recovering that one who went astray more than the 99 who stayed right close by his side. Because he wants, his heart is for us. He wants us to walk fully in everything that Christ died on the cross to give him. And and I tend to agree with Bill Johnson from Bethel Church in California when he says Jesus should get everything he, should, he paid for. If he paid for it, why aren't we walking and living in it? And so I go back to Todd White and that, that night on that platform. Here's what he said. He said, he said, you know, we teach people to forgive, and I'm just wondering why are we teaching people that they have to forgive and go through all this struggle and this pain when they can live by the law of love and grace. If you live by the law and love and grace, your heart is guarded and it's protected and it cannot be offended. And, and he said, I don't get offended. I choose to live unoffended because I live by the law of love and grace toward other people. And he says this knowing that people reject him. He says this knowing that people will stand outside of his events and picket and condemn him in the name of God. Now, I'm not saying anything about those people picketing, and I'm not judging them at all. I believe they're, they're devout individuals who believe they have a call of God on their life to, um, to destroy the works of darkness and that... And because what is taught is so disagreeing to what they believe, they believe it's their duty to highlight that this is false teaching. And, uh, you know, I can't judge them because 15 years ago, I would have been one of them. I would have been saying, I don't know about that. I'm not sure that's right. How could they say that? I'm not sure that person loves God. I'm not sure they believe in God. I don't have any experience with that. Oh, but God. He brought me fully into it laying in my prayer closet, praying for a prayer language while I was leading ministry in a small Baptist church. And I would bargain with him and say, would you give me more of you? I just want more of you. And if you give me more of you, I'll, I'll, I'll never teach it to anyone here in this place if they won't allow me to. But I just want more of you. 
So one of the keys is recognizing the heart of the Father towards the lost, the prodigals, the ones who are openly sinning and declaring his name, and, and partner with the Father, destroy the works of darkness and not the people that you see operating in it. Bless them. Do not curse them. Don't enter into sin yourself through gossip and maligning and presumption and assumption because we know what all that leads to, right? And then he deals with our heart. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. How many times have we gone to a pastor or a trusted friend and told the story of how someone sinned against us in our estimation. But we never took it to the person that could really do something about it. We never took it to the person who I was offended with. You see, if I keep short accounts with God, and I keep short accounts with people, being willing to do conflict resolution, be willing to even repent of things when I don't know if I'm necessarily wrong, but recognizing that the reason I need to repent is because somehow it hurt them. I have a good example of this. I walk in a lot of freedom in atmospheres where, where, where we're invited to embrace um, the Holy Spirit. And so last fall I was at an event and um, I was actually painting at the event and there was such an anointing of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the room that it was just all over me. I could feel him in every fiber of my being and it wasn't painful, but it created all this involuntary response. Like I tried to, to control it and retain it and contain it. But it was, it was beginning to burn like a fire shut up in my bones. And when the presence of God comes, my body and my heart and my mind all respond typically in one of two ways. And lately, in both. Uh, but the, the first way is that I get raucous joy. I get this, this is laughter, just thinking about it makes me kind of want to giggle because I get... I get consumed with this giddiness that just bubbles up out of my heart. And it overflows. And in those moments, I'm so focused on God, I sometimes don't notice the people around me. And, and, and to be honest, when I was done with the painting that I was working on, I was not, um, I was not in that raucous place. I actually just laid down face down on the floor at the edge of the place where I was painting. And I was just encountering the Lord in a powerful way. And a friend of mine came over and laid hands on me and began to pray for me. And there was such peace on me in that moment. And then the joy just began to stir in me. And I began, I get, I get all the feels all the hair standing up on the on my arms as I talk to you about it even right now. I just, that joy rolling up out of me. Sometimes we have to learn not to be offended by the way God shows up in other people. I think about Peter and 
in, in the book of Acts after Pentecost. And he, he here's this room full of people babbling and in in, in, in in their native tongues and everybody's understanding and their 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 flames of fire over their head. Can you imagine what they look like? And and the scene is so out of order in the temple that Peter has to stand up and say, These men are not drunk as you suppose, but they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know that being filled with the Holy Spirit produces something in you that makes you would make people who haven't experienced it think that you are drunk. And Paul said in Ephesians that it is better to be drunk on the Holy Spirit than to be drunk on wine. So, in that moment, I'm not aware of, of, of what's happening around me. I'm only aware of Him. And I'm fully immersed in Him because the presence of God is thick and it's heavy and it's beautiful and it's overwhelming. And so then a little while later, a friend of mine um, who suffers with a very debilitating illness got up and walked out of a wheelchair and I just came undone. I just became, an, I, I, I don't know how far off the ground I was leaping, but I was leaping and I was fist pumping God. And I was saying, there is nothing my Jesus can't do. There's nothing my Jesus can't do. In that moment, my faith was so empowered and I was so wound up and excited. But what I didn't think about was that I could have been a distraction. And while all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. And so a few days later, I was speaking to a friend who was there. It was at the time that I'm laughing and emoting. Um, she is receiving prayer for the healing of her, her hearing. And she said that, to be honest, she could not focus on herself because of what was going on with me. And so... In that moment, I realized I really hadn't thought about that. And so I wrote the leader of the event and told him how much I repented of being so immersed in myself and my experience with God that I wasn't aware of what was happening with others around me. And um, that doesn't mean that what I experienced was bad or not God. It means that I needed to exercise some self-discipline in that moment, and I did not. And so... What God has taught me over these last seven years is I can discipline my heart. I can discipline my mind. I can discipline my flesh to respond appropriately in the moment and still fully encounter his presence. You see, I could have had that encounter without the raucous laughter, without the overexpression of emotion, And it, it could have been less distracting and offensive to other people because there were many people there who have never had that experience. And so they don't understand it. And so, and so um, you know, we get to the, the part where you take two or three witnesses with you and if they don't repent, then you push them out and you treat them as if 
they are not a part of you. And he says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But that doesn't mean you don't pray for them, and you don't pray for repentance, and you don't stand and contend for them, even if they're, after they're on the outside. Because God is the God of impossibility, and he can change anything. You see, we need the, to pray and, and have the mindset of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And in the parable of the unforgiving servant, obviously the Lord is our master. And he has forgiven so great a debt through his death on a cross. And he didn't require us to pay what we owe. But somehow, when the, when the pain comes, when, the, when the, the betrayal hits, when the lie is told, when the adultery is committed, even when the child dies, all things that I know so well, when I'm rejected and despised by people, when I'm judged by people, the natural response is to want vindication, to want to defend myself. But I said this a few weeks ago in my Bible study that I lead on Saturday mornings, and I'll say it again here for us. The truth of the matter is that when persecution comes, when betrayal comes, when adultery comes, when 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 death comes early and takes one you love dearly, when the enemy comes in to steal, kill, and destroy, we have to have that breastplate of Christ's righteousness over our heart and be so confident and so firm on the foundation of who he is in us that we don't even need to speak a word to defend ourselves because silence will speak love will speak grace will speak mercy will speak compassion will speak we must be willing to release those offenses quickly you know, I find now, even, because I'm a very analytical person, um, you might think I'm a little wooey, um, but I'm really not. I'm really kind of an extroverted introvert, so I, I, I get inside my head sometimes, and I love learning, and I love knowledge, and I love um, studying and digging, and, and I've learned a lot over these years of my life just from encounter Bible study and contemplative prayer where I pray and then I listen for a response and um, and I've learned that the key to living unoffended is to release those things quickly release them quickly they may come the anger may be there for a moment but when I recognize it I go Jesus I need you to give me your thought on this situation because right now I can't. I can't. I can't respond. I can't think about it the way you think about it. My heart hurts. And I remember when I learned um, in 2000, 
eight that uh, my husband had been involved in an emotional relationship with a woman. In, um, she was far away, and they had never talked in person, but they had talked on the phone, and they had they had communicated online and spent quite a bit of time during six months growing in intimacy with one another emotionally. And um, and I tell this story with his full permission not to expose him and not to expose her, but to, but to tell the story of how God took a woman who would have demanded her right to be hurt and demanded her right to be angry and demanded her right to be right in that moment and turned my life and my heart upside down with a simple prayer. And through that, I learned that you can choose not to be offended. And so that night, um, I had needed to uh, register for something online. And I didn't want to fire up my computer and wait for the time it took to get online because he was already on his work computer sitting near me and using it playing a game. And so... Um, I asked him if I could use his computer for a moment to do that. And he will, he reluctantly allowed me to use it, And he, but he was pretty willing. To, he said yes. And so as I'm signing up for the thing that I wanted to sign up for online, um, a chat box pops up with a woman's name in it. So I just asked him, who is this wo woman and why is she contacting you? And he said, oh, she's just... A, a lady that I know through this game and I said well in order for her to contact you, you through this chat service wouldn't she have to have your email address he said yeah and I said how did she get that he goes I gave it to her and I said oh I said do you talk a lot he said yeah and I was like okay I said well I, and I, I still didn't have a thought that there was anything wrong I was just confused by it and he said you know don't you have a lot of men that you talk with on your blog and get emails from and I said no not really I said there are two um, there is a man who contacted me because I wrote a post about the sports associating association he is affiliated with I wrote a post about something a speaker had shared and he read it and he sent me some free resources related to that event uh, So, um, yeah, so, so, so God really, like, at that moment, I was like, uh-oh. And I said, and the other one wants me to use some of his software on my blog, and so he's written to me and asked me about that. And everybody, there's not anybody else. I don't get private messages from men. I don't receive them. Um, I don't I don't receive a lot of emails and he was like oh well then I'll just um, well I'll, I'll just stop talking to her I was like okay I said I think we probably need to talk a little more about this but at that time I had to leave and go get my daughter and so I went and got her and by the time I went to pick her up I'm beginning to realize there is something more to this and I'm crying and she asked me what was wrong and I said it's, it's not important I'm just struggling with something right now, and uh, and 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 I just need to cry. 
And so by the time I got home, I had stopped crying and I sent her into the house and I just sat in the car and called my friend who was just my stalwart at that time. She just, she hung with me through everything. And her name's Mary and, and, and while we don't talk very often, she's still very close to my heart. And because she lives further away from me than we did at that time. And, and, and I, and I tell, I lovingly tell people uh, everywhere I go, God gives me a Mary because I have a Mary in my life right now. And she's just very similar kind of friend. And, and so I called her and I said, I need you to pray. I don't know what's going on, but it, there's another woman involved. And, and I just need to not go in there and blow up my marriage right now. I need to find out what's going on and so that I can address it with Scott. And, and so she began to pray. And while she's praying, here's what pops into my head. Ask me to forgive him. And I knew in that moment it was God. It was just those, that simple phrase, ask me, or question, ask me to, or directive, actually, not a question. Ask me to forgive him. So I just, I pushed pause on her prayer and I said out loud, Lord, at this moment, I ask you to forgive my husband for whatever this is. And I don't even know, but I'm not sure that I can do it right now. And I just need you to forgive him. And then I prayed what I felt was a critical prayer. And I need you to work that out in me, in my heart. Because I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to damage my marriage with, by going in here and responding wrong. Now I'm going to tell you, I responded all kinds of messy and it was it was painful and it was hard. And I was a little bit pious and self-righteous because, you know, I was betrayed. And um, and God did this great work in me. And I wasn't sure if he was doing a great work in Scott or not, but I, I knew he wasn't leaving. And so, um, so a few weeks later, I'm sitting in a conference room in our church at a meeting for... Um, the leaders of our freedom ministry groups and our, our leader, his name is Bob Hamp and you can find out more about him at bobhamp.com. Um, a lot of my freedom happened under his leadership at this particular church. And, um, we were sitting there and, and he was sharing with us from Colossians about God's grace. And he, he began to say, God's grace is what it is. You cannot sin it. You can't take advantage of it. You can't, you know, take it for granted. You can't lose it. It's a gift, and it and, and it is what it is. And the only thing you can do is receive it. And I had been struggling with how do I forgive my husband when I'm not completely convinced that he won't come back and hurt me the same way again, because that had been my experience all my life with everyone, is that I could be very generous and forgiving, and then turn around and be more devastated by what happened. And so, as he's talking, I have this epiphany that if, if the grace of God is applied to me and I receive it, it lives inside of me. Huh. And so, if, if I try to forgive people out of my limited understanding and knowledge of grace and experience with it, then it's going to be insufficient to protect me, to guard my heart, to take care of me. But if... By turn, I forgive other people as an extension of the grace of God at work in my own heart. Then he's responsible for what happens to me as a result of forgiving them. And he's going to take care of me. This is what I'm realizing at, at that moment. 
And so I raised my hand and I said it, and it was so sweet. Bob said, would you say that again? And he picked up his pen, so I said it again. And he said, what I hear you saying is you're not going to live codependent on other people anymore. Do you know the things that drive us to addiction, the things that drive us to um, relational codependency, the things that drive us to um, counseling and therapy for the rest of our lives without any breakthrough, is that we have misapplied God's grace in our lives. We only want it for ourselves. We only want His mercy for ourselves. But we don't want it for the people who hurt us. But Jesus said that the way we get to the Father's heart is to bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, give them the left one. If someone takes your, your, your coat, give them your shirt too. Don't let the little things trip you up and and. If I put what I'm experiencing on the backdrop of the cross, these are little things. Because nothing compares to what he took for me. There is no pain on earth I endured. Because if I'm honest, I deserve some of it. Because that morning, as I read email after email and realized how much time they had spent talking to each other on the phone, and my heart was just wrecked. I had him call her. And I spoke to her by phone. But before I did, I saw him. And I believe I saw him through the Father's heart. And my heart just broke. Because we had been in a season where I was grieving the death of my oldest son. We're a blended family. We have five children. We had two oldest boys, two youngest girls, and one girl that, that was there right in the middle. And... um. And I had been grieving and I had been before that pursuing so hard after God in my own relationship that I had kind of left my family behind. And so I sat on the bed watching him dial that phone so defeated and so broken. And my heart was moved to repent for not being concerned with the things that concerned him. Because that's what she gave him that I didn't. I was always trying to fix him. And she was compassionate towards him and understanding and heard him more readily than I did. And so I didn't repent for not being her. I repented for not being all of who I am in that way to him because that's what he needed from me and I couldn't give it to him or I wouldn't give it to him. And so I want to conclude this first episode of Blooming Inspired Podcast just asking you, who is it that you need to ask God to forgive and work that out in you? Because you see, offense is a choice. We can choose to pick it up. We can choose not to. We can choose to take the bait because the enemy's throwing it at us, right? He's accusing them to us. And when we agree with him, we partner with the liar. We partner with the accusation and we open the door for the enemy to come in and torment us. But when we respond in grace, when we respond in mercy, when we withhold judgment and move to reconcile through repentance ourselves and change our own mind about it, then offense doesn't have the opportunity to make that bitter root that will not only turn our heart away from people, that will turn our heart away from God. 
You see, I don't need a wall around my heart to protect me if I've got a breastplate of righteousness through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Because my Father God defends me, and he has angels at the ready to send to protect and care and nurture for me. And if people fail me, God never will. So my encouragement to you today is to lay it out before the Lord and listen quietly for his response as you pray. Capture that first thought. <coughs> Examine it before the Lord. Does it agree with what you know about his character and nature as revealed in scripture? Does it agree with scripture? Does it agree with the truth that you know to set people free? It doesn't have to sound like King James English to be God talking. As a matter of fact, most of the time he talks to me in riddles. It's a play on words with me. And so right now I would just like to pray for you as I close out the podcast. And then I'm going to give you a little bit of information about Blooming Inspired Network and where we're going with this podcasting platform. So, Father God, I thank you for everyone who is within the sound of my voice right now. I pray that you would pierce our hearts where they need to be pierced. So infection and bitterness and pain and offense can leave and the life-giving flow of the Holy Spirit can come. And then I pray you would bind up our broken hearts, our pierced hearts. And you would heal us from the inside out and make us vessels of honor and love and dignity and integrity and grace and compassion and mercy toward the world around us. In a in a sea of voices crying out judgment and entitlement and demanding their rights, let us lay our lives down. For you have said that there is no greater love than this. Then we would lay our lives down and die to ourselves and die even physically in a, in a more permanent death for our friends, for our brothers. Help us to win our brothers and sisters Christ over by our love. Because you said we will be known by our love for one another. I thank you for, um, for humbling me, for encouraging me, for building me up, and for preparing me for such a time as this. I pray every woman who is called to leadership, who needs what we offer at Blooming Inspired Network, would be able to connect and grow and explore the truth that sets them free as well. Ask you to be real to them. Show up in their dreams. Speak to them as they're doing the dishes and caring for their husbands and children, as they're working at their desk at their job, as they're driving in the car. I pray you would just whisper the sweet nothings of heaven into the air, and we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us lay down our will and our choice to be offended and take up your grace that dies so others can live. In Jesus' name, amen. So, one of the things I'm excited about is the podcasting platform that I'm on allows me to run multiple podcasts out of one platform. And so I'm offering to women who have a message or, or, or something to share or something to say, I'm offering the opportunity for you to join me on my show, on my podcast. And we can, and I'm excited about the ways that God has shown me that we can, we can make this work. And so I'm inviting you in. 
If you would like to be a guest on my podcast to share your testimony and your story about how God has encouraged you to discover your identity, I mean, it has encouraged you to embrace your identity, encourage you to discover your passion, um, ha, equipped you for your purpose, or empowered you to lead out in your calling. Um, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E dot Bentham, B as in boy, E, N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, H-A-M as in Mary, at bloominginspirednetwork.com. You can also learn more about us at bloominginspirednetwork.com. We post regularly on Facebook at Blooming Inspired on Facebook and on Twitter we're at Bloom Inspired Net. We're building that up and we will be on Instagram soon and on YouTube. And so I am excited about what God's doing. I'm excited about where, where we're going with um, Blooming Inspired Network and I am over the moon for Jesus in this season of my life. And I just want to help to equip and empower you to walk out the dream and the destiny that God has over your life. So reach out to me. Let me know. If you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're listening to this podcast, I just want to pause for a moment. This Jesus who died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins, it says in Scripture that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That's everybody. But it says also that God is not willing that any should be lost and that He so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that Everyone who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life with him. That we would live beyond our temporary death here on this earth. So if the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart, just say a simple prayer to him from your heart. It can sound something like this, or you can use your own words. God, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've lied. Be specific when you pray. I know I've lied. I know I have um, I have been offensive to you. But thank you for putting Jesus on the cross. Today I receive him as my Lord and Savior. And I surrender my life to your will. Thank you for forgiving me. I appropriate that forgiveness to my heart today. Thank you for your grace and your love and your truth that sets me free. In Jesus' name, amen. And now you've made a decision for the Lord. Please, if you've done that, email that same email address I gave before. Reach out to me on Facebook or Twitter. Let me know. I would love to get an address and put some resources in your hand and um, encourage you to get connected to a local church that teaches solid biblical truth and um, encourages you to walk empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's all I have for you today. I will be back tomorrow and we will be continuing to talk about what it means to live with an unoffended heart. I pray you're blessed and I hope that you remember, one, that blooming where you're planted is the first step to living your wildest dreams. That's the testimony of my life. And two, that you check us out in all the ways you can connect with us and you can and, and you choose to get blooming inspired every single day. Thank you for tuning in. I look forward to talking with you again soon. Be blessed and have a wonderful, wonderful Monday.